Scripture reading comes from 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 13 in the English Standard Version. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord, and invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declared to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked to Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shabbat pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and brought him. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed down upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose and went up to Ramah. This is the word of God. Amen. Amen. Good morning, Christ Central. It's good to be with you again this morning. Uh, for those of you who are guests with us, we're glad that you joined us online. And my name is Omari Hill. I'm one of the assistant pastors here. I just wanted to uh, let you know that after the benediction is given this morning, you'll have a chance to watch that VBS video that we missed. It'll be on this live stream. So, uh, so Ben, you will not need to do a reprise of the song after the benediction. Uh, but during this live stream, just stay here online if you want to watch that VBS video. And of course, we're still going to have a virtual lobby and the link for uh, Red Share Prayer will also still be available this morning. Well, um, gosh, this is, this is quite a morning uh, to be before anyone having to speak publicly pretty challenging. And, um, you know, I've been thinking as I was preparing, 
this message this morning and uh, even before uh, the news that we heard of recently in Atlanta uh, happened yesterday, I just I could only think of what the Apostle Paul had said, who is sufficient for these things? And uh, but certainly the Lord always has a word for us and we believe that he has a word for us this morning. And it is my charge to do, to try to be as faithful as possible in bringing that to you and frankly to all of us because I need it too. So we're continuing this sermon series in First and Second Samuel, uh, which we've been doing now here for several weeks, continuing the survey of the life of the main characters of that book, but also the major events in the life of Israel as it unfolds in those two books. And today's text that you just heard covers a critical moment in the life and the future of Israel. Not just a critical moment in the life and future of Israel, but also of the whole world. And I'll explain that later on in this sermon. But we today are also in a critical moment ourselves, are we not? There's the pandemic, of course, which we have been talking about, wrestling with, wrestling through, the loss of jobs, loss of many lives, the loss of security, uh, then just the, uh, the increase of racial violence, which has uh, resulted in a loss of trust in many ways, also an, er an erosion of commitment in some places uh, to one another, an erosion of commitment to uh, institutions. And so we can feel the international unrest that has resulted, uh, and we see it in the protests, we see it in the responses to the stay-at-home orders and uh, just the stages of reopening and that, that sort of thing. Uh, all these things have happened to us within such a short period of time, and we still have six more months to go in this year. Right? And so I, I think like, if we were to try to put some words to how we might be feeling, and we've heard it said many times already this morning. It's overwhelmed. It's exhausted. It's anxious. And many are wondering, and perhaps you're wondering yourself this morning, where do we go from here? What's next? What are we supposed to do? Now, Oprah Winfrey just had a special that she did with uh, uh, using the title of that same question. And that special, she has... Uh, Ava DuVernay, uh, David Oyelowo, uh, some, some other people, Stacey Adams, and also she has uh, the current mayor of Atlanta, Keisha Bottoms. Um, Lord, keep her safe. Um, give her wisdom. She's going through it right now. Um, but take a minute, just for a second, even as I mentioned her name, to think about this right now. And two, and arguably the, the, the greatest cities in the Southeast, Charlotte and Atlanta, we don't just have people of color in the highest office in the city. We have black women. That's remarkable. But yet, yet, as you heard Mayor Bottoms' speech during that first line of protests uh, after the loss of George Floyd, when uh, she was on national television, and she said that she had to call on her own son and ask him, where are you? Are you out protesting? Because I can't protect you. And, you, and she expressed that, that powerlessness, that 
that, that, that fear as a mother. And she told Oprah that it's difficult for her because she feels the grief and the fear of a mother, and yet she feels like because she's the mayor, she's supposed to do something. She must have the power, right, to change the situation for all black and brown people in her city. This is immense pressure. And we've all felt that at some level, right? burdened and vulnerable and limited. Yet in this critical moment, we must say something. We must do something. Where do we go from here? My goal this morning is not to offer any kind of political or legal solutions or steps, although they're out there. And those steps have to be taken. And there are plenty of smart people and compassionate people that are working on ways to help us move forward. But we must be ready to act when it is our turn. Right? We're in a critical moment. And each of us has to do our part. Why? Because we're the church. It's who we're called to be. We're called to be agents of peace and justice, ambassadors of Christ with a ministry of reconciliation. One thing is clear to me, and I think should be clear to you, wherever we are to go from here, we must be the kind of people who will do it. We have to be the kind of people who will do it. Like the anointing of David as the next king, a new thing is at hand. A new situation, a new administration, a new conversation, Change is in the air, but are we ready to move forward with faithfulness? The burden of righteousness is not just for the leaders, but it is for all the people. And now I would humbly suggest three different steps, three steps to help us prepare ourselves for that change so that we can be faithful. Uh, and, and it is this, and you, you should probably have it there uh, before you, which is to, one, claim our grief, also to check our hearts, and commit to the king. To, to claim our grief, check our hearts and commit to the king. Now really this is gonna feel more like two points rather than three, because I'm gonna spend a lot of time on those first two, and hopefully you'll see why. These three things that I'm gonna suggest, that I'm gonna invite you into, they don't have to be done in any particular order, but they all have to be done. Now I'm gonna warn you, these things are not easy right? But they are possible. So we have to claim our grief. Verse 1, it says, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. Now it's easy to look at this and say, even God wants us to stop crying and get to acting, right? Right. Who's got time for tears when when the virus is, is raging on and there are brown bodies lying in the streets? Who's got time for all that? And yeah, there is work to do, but grief is also a part of that work. See, and, and I, I didn't put this. This isn't in the bulletin. But if you go back to chapter 15, which was eloquently preached on last week, right? You go at to, to the, the end of chapter 15. What you see is, yes, God himself had rejected Saul. He was done with him because of his faithlessness. Uh, right? But then he says, uh, because he says, Samuel, 
did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul. That's terrible. Samuel never saw Saul again until he was about to die. But he grieved over Saul. But Samuel wasn't by himself in his grief. Read the rest at the end of that chapter. It says, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. God grieved too. Grieving is good. It is right. It is healthy and it is holy. So God wasn't upset with Samuel's tears. God isn't saying to you and I today as we grieve, man up, wipe it off. He's not doing that. But he weeps with us. You need to claim your grief instead of stuffing it or it will eat you alive. Now, I believe that when the Lord found Samuel, as we see here in chapter 16, that Samuel may have been on the brink of despair because he asked him, how long will you grieve over Saul? So we get the idea that he had been in this state for a long time. Why would Samuel grieve for so long? <laughs> I mean, use your holy imagination. Just think about it. Think about Samuel's life. He marched. He donated the funds. He voted. He protested. He sat in long meetings. He traveled many miles. And he had many sleepless nights. And all of his work barely scratched the surface. Even his own sons had dropped the baton of justice so that they could live their best life on the backs of his people. Then the people demanded this fool of a king who had done nothing but drag the Lord's name through the mud. And when the pandemic came for us, right, when it came through and disrupted our plans, and when we saw yet one more brown body, one more black body in a black bag, like Samuel, we've thrown up our hands. Right? Was, after all that work, we're still here? This is it? Brother Samuel, I get it. I get why you are at the brink of despair. But if, if, if we don't deal with our grief, but you either be tempted to despair or do things that compromise your integrity. And you can't move forward in faithfulness like that. And yet we're afraid to, even as we know that life has to continue. God told Samuel to go. Hey, take that horn, fill it with oil, what you're about to do, and go. Verse 2, he says, and Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. I mean, my God, it, it's only been five, six months in 2020, right? What is waiting for us in the rest of this year? We've seen the signs of children in the streets saying, am I next? Right? We can't bury these emotions. There is fear in our hearts. Do you feel ashamed of your tears and your fears? Do you feel like you're not allowed to be human? Dr. Brene Brown tells us that if we live in shame, we'll hide from one another pretending to be perfect. And if our true selves are disconnected from others, we'll never get what we really need during this hour, which is connection and empathy. We'll never get it. 
Like if we're walking around with, with the mask on, pretending that people connect to a false person, right? Not to the person that is really you and that really needs help. But God draws near to Samuel in his despair and in his fears. And he tells him, I'm still here. I'm still here. I am still at work. How much do we need to hear those same words from our gracious father? I'm still here. And he tells a, a brokenhearted Samuel that while his, his tears were still flowing, that God was already working on a plan. See, in verse 1, he, he tells him, right, he says, fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Now, when we look at that phrase, that when, he, when the Lord says, I have provided for myself, it literally, literally means something like, I have searched among the people and have selected for myself. God looked down and saw and went into, went by, into the nation and then by region and then by tribe and then by household and saw and searched for a king after his own heart. God sees deeply into our darkest nights and he provides a way out. We need to remember that. But why would he do that for Israel? And why would he do that for us? I mean, Saul's failure was not just about the peace of Israel. Remember God's promise to Abraham that he would make of him a great nation and through him all nations of the world would be blessed? A lot was on the line if Israel failed. If their leadership was crap and it affected the rest of the people, and if we read it correctly, we see that the, the people were already twisted. And, and that was one of the reasons why they had bad leadership, because the people were already getting rotten. So, so if Israel failed, then what would happen to God's promise for the entire world? A lot was at stake. Salvation and peace for the entire world were at stake. But God made a promise, and he's not a man that he should lie. He's zealous for his glory, and he empathizes with a hurting world. So at just the right time, while we are grieving, God will show us that he has not abandoned us. He's not done with us yet. And so then we, we can be real about who we are and where we are with our hearts and with our feelings. Because when we claim our grief, we can also claim God's healing and move forward to where he calls us. So we have to claim our grief. But here's the, here's the second step, the next one. If we're to be faithful, we need to check our hearts. If we're going to be faithful as we move into whatever is coming next. We have to check our hearts. Samuel gets up. And he goes to Bethlehem, as the story tells us, and he anoints the next king. But little does he know he's in for a little lesson. So he gets to the city. 
And this sort of comedic exchange kind of happens, right? Verse 4 says, Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. Then the elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Now, why are these leaders trembling? Right? It, it, we, do they feel some share in Saul's guilt because they're leaders? Maybe uh, they were there back in, you know, the previous chapters where we see when Samuel had to do what Saul was supposed to do, which was to kill the Amalekite king, right? And that scene is horrific because it shows like Samuel, who's an old man at that point, but he gets some, somehow he gets like old man strength out of somewhere, right? And he grabs a sword and he starts, he's chopping up Agag, right? I mean, this is a horrible scene. People, whoa, you know, who is this guy? So, you know, maybe they were there and they saw that. And it's like, you know, Samuel about to come to us with that old man strength. We about to get it. Right. And so they're trembling. <laughs> and, uh, but I mean, we don't know. Okay. We know the scriptures don't tell us exactly why they were trembling. But whenever one comes who is representing God, we become sensitive about our own righteousness, don't we? Uh, whether we get defensive, start coming up, well, I've been doing this, I do this, I do that, I do that, right? Or we get scared and we just kind of clam up, shut up, move on. But the Lord had good news for Bethlehem. And he has good news for us. He would honor this city and he would honor this people by picking his champion from among them. So it's, it's only right then that they would do some ceremonial cleansing, right? He tells them, consecrate yourselves to prepare for what God is about to do. And so must we, in some sense, wash away our impurities. We have to consecrate ourselves and prepare for what God is about to do. But how do we do that? Look at Samuel, okay? He, it, all of Jesse's sons were brought before him, all seven of them. And the first one that comes, probably the oldest one. And as soon as he looks at Eliab, he, he gets all amped up. Samuel, he's like, wow, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, now hold on here. It says that the Lord said to Samuel, Samuel didn't say this out loud. Samuel was thinking this, right? Now we see Jesus doing that also in the Gospels. But, you know, it's kind of like father, like son. You know, God likes to read people's minds and then tell you about yourself. Uh, but then, <laughs> look, at, look at verse 7 again. He says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Right? Heart check on Samuel. Stat, right? This brother was about to make the same mistake that the people made when they celebrated Saul. Samuel, faithful Samuel, who'd been through so much, was about to make the same mistake as the people and could have put them back in the same place where they were. Right? You could also make the case that he eventually did go along with the people much earlier on, if you read chapter 10, where he, you know, he finally presents Saul to the people and he says, look, you know, there's no one like him, pretty much. But regardless, 
Somewhere in Samuel's heart, there was a gap between the values that he expressed and what he really wanted. There was a gap between the values that he expressed and what he really wanted. Samuel was in a position of great power, so the gap in his heart needed to be addressed before he anointed or baptized something terrible. Before he put the name of the Lord on something evil. Saints, we don't know what's coming for our city, for the American church, for our country, but we need to make sure whatever leaders, whatever structures, whatever programs, whatever alliances we baptize in the name of the Lord doesn't cause misery for many lives. We have to be careful about who we endorse. God says he cares about character more than appearance or performance. In some strange way, to borrow from Dr. King, we have not just looked at the color of other people's skin, but their outward appearance and performance and judged that more than the content of their character. We need leaders who are committed to righteousness and justice from the inside out. Right. And it's not like appearance and performance doesn't matter, but because David is described here later on as being ruddy and handsome and with beautiful eyes. And I kind of roll my eyes as I read that. I'm like, whatever, you know, uh, <laughs> but but character is always first. Right. Performance matters, but character always comes first. Saul. Was more concerned. About building his own image. You see it throughout his entire, his entire career. Saul was, was concerned about maintaining how other people viewed him. And he may have started out thinking, man, I, I, you know, I'm ashamed of who I am and I don't know what to do. But then he finally got to a point where he cared more about his image than restoring the image of God and the people he was called to serve. Again, this is why we need to claim our grief. Because David didn't seem to be ashamed of tending the sheep, or even as we learn later on, of being a musician. Right? But we're tall, we're told that Saul made so many horrible decisions because he wanted to please the people. And he struggled with thinking too little of himself. See, here, here's the issue. True humility, as I think C.S. Lewis probably said it best, is not about thinking less of ourselves. It's about thinking of ourselves less. Right? There's a difference. And, and, and Saul was stuck in thinking less of himself. And, he, you know, you, you look back and you see how when, when Samuel first went to him and Saul was like, well, you know, I'm just this little guy and I come from this small tribe. And, and then when it's time for him to be coronated, what's he doing? Hiding among the animals. And they got to pull him out because he, he's hiding. And he comes down, he's this terrible man, right? His lack of self-compassion, his grief and his shame over his own heritage was left unattended. And it cost many people their lives. It's not just about you. 
But you got to practice some self-compassion. But, right, but, and, and, it, and it wasn't just Saul's fault. But we've said this already. As you read back, you see the people were guilty too. And we're guilty too. And how many churches have fallen because the pastor was getting high or cheating on his wife? And we've heard the story. And America has heard this story a thousand times. Like the honest ones from these churches, they, they come forward after everything that comes out in the open right about this pastor. And they say, we knew something was wrong. But we never asked because the ministry was humming and people were coming to the church. We didn't care about him. We just wanted to win. We just wanted victory because we felt terrible about ourselves. The people cared more about the ministry than the man and his family because they cared more about winning than character. And maybe winning has always been our primary way of covering our shame. This is why tokenism still thrives today. Not to be confused with affirmative action, which is a good thing. Tokenism, for example, is when we think the quick fix to healing a racially divided church is to throw a minority up in a pulpit who barely finished seminary without asking if he's good at outreach, good at building relationships, good at handling conflicts, or if he can truly remain healthy in pastoral ministry. It happens all the time. And not just in churches. In the highest offices of the land, everywhere, tokenism thrives. Too many minority leaders in every sector have burned out, and it's affected many lives. And nobody says anything until lives are ruined. We need to love what God loves. In any political or social or religious movement, the character of the people we celebrate says a lot about our own and that's the hard truth that Samuel had to face, and so do we. We have to check our hearts because too much is at stake. The church is supposed to be the soul of this nation. The soul. We failed. Church, eh. We've shown up at the protest, thank God, but are we ready for what's next? What will we write? How will we vote? What jobs will we choose? How will we love our neighbors? What schools will we put our children in? Something's wrong. Something's wrong when the people of God applaud and empower only, only uh, racists and anarchists. Something's wrong. Be careful what you anoint, church. Be careful what you baptize. Do, do we really want to win that badly? Or will we humble ourselves and see God's face together so that he might be glorified among the people? So finally, my sisters and my brothers, finally, if we're to be faithful in the coming months, in the years that are ahead, we must commit to the king. That is the king that God has chosen. Did you see that question there that Samuel asked after the seven sons had come? Is there anyone else among your sons? Is this it? Right? See, uh, 
Now, the, the peace of God can only be achieved in God's way. After Saul was rejected, God chose David. And he describes him later on as a man after his own heart. But when you read the rest, and we'll get to it, you read the rest of these books, you see that this man that God had chosen commits rape, betrayal, murder. Like, and David probably doesn't get the Dad of the Year award either. Yet, in time, yet in time, there was another son that God would choose who would become the greatest king in the history of all of Israel. But before he came, many still would celebrate David and celebrate the works that he was able to do. And so knowing this, Samuel was sent to Bethlehem anyway, knowing God, knowing what David was going to do, that he would be able to do great things, but also commit great sins. He sends him to Bethlehem anyway. And in verse 13, he, he tells him to take out his horn of oil and anoint David in the midst of his brothers. But then, this is interesting. At the very end here of what we read, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. The only way that any of us among God's children can be what God has called us to be, especially in this critical moment, is by the presence and power of his spirit. It's the only way. But knowing David's record of sins, and knowing our leaders and our neighbors, and knowing ourselves, we have to ask, are we as good as it gets? Are we as good as it gets? Looking at ourselves and looking at Christians in America, is this it? Why shouldn't the Holy Spirit leave us, right? Why shouldn't he throw up his hands? Say, I'm done. <laughs> this is it. Why shouldn't he abandon us to our hatred and our fear? What chance do we really have of winning? Is there a word of hope for troubled hearts? The answer in the gospel is yes. God's call to Samuel is the same call to us, which is this, go to Bethlehem. Because centuries later, after David was made king, in that same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you great news of great joy that will be for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And when the angels went away after singing, and they went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Let us go over to Bethlehem and see the infinite Son of God who came down from his holy place, made himself vulnerable by becoming like one of us. Let us go over to Bethlehem 
and see the Savior who would rescue us from our sins by being beaten and suffocated in public. Let us go over to Bethlehem and see the king who makes us a people after God's own heart and leans on the neck of the devil and will one day crush his head. I don't know what's coming next, but keep going over to Bethlehem. With all that you are, do not be afraid. God has given us a king. That old Negro spiritual says, keep your lamps trimmed and burning because the time is drawing nigh. God has given us a king and he will return. His victory is sure because he rose from the dead and defeated the enemy at the cross. If we go to him, if we keep going to that king in Bethlehem, if we do this, we will find that we can remain committed to God and to his work of peace and justice for the long haul because, because he is first and always committed to us. Till death do us part. <laughs> yeah, and he conquered that too. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for the words that Jesus said and how that word has become a song that uplifted my ancestors and has inspired so many beyond just those who were enslaved in this country. The words of Jesus which encourage us and command us to keep our lamps trimmed and burning. Now, children, we ought not to get weary for this work to be done. But Father, we are weary. Our grief is deep. For many of us, it's generational. How can we overcome it? Lord, send your spirit. Send your spirit to heal us. Send your spirit to heal us, to inspire us. Help us, Lord. See us in our weakness. Remember that we are but dust made from the ground in your compassion and your mercy. Lift up our hearts. Even if we have to stumble forward, we're moving. But thank you, Lord, that you've promised not to abandon us, that you are already at work, that you already have a plan. And so, Father, we move forward stumbling, not knowing what's next, for your glory, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.